From NBC5 and the Dallas Morning News, this is the Lone Star Politics Podcast. I'm Chris Blake. This week, we hear from Texas's new Secretary of State, appointed just over a month ago. Plus, Julie Fine just got back from Washington with a couple of good interviews. That new Secretary of State is John Scott, who worked for Governor Greg Abbott when Abbott was the state's Attorney General. We'll also hear from U.S. Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg about how the infrastructure bill will impact North Texas, and from First Lady Jill Biden, as the first family prepares for its first Christmas in the White House. NBC5 anchor Brian Curtis is alongside Julie today. Gromer Jeffers has the week off. Before we get started, please take a moment to rate, review, and subscribe to the Lone Star Politics podcast. It helps us grow the show and reach more listeners. Abbott appointed John Scott as the new Secretary of State in late October. In Texas, that position serves as the state's chief elections officer. The office had been vacant since May when Ruth Hughes stepped down because she was not confirmed by the state Senate. She was appointed in August 2019, after then-Secretary of State David Whitley resigned amid backlash for wrongly questioning the U.S. citizenship status of nearly 100,000 voters. Because Hughes was appointed between legislative sessions and the state Senate did not hold a confirmation hearing for her, she was required to step down. Scott served as Deputy Attorney General for Civil Litigation when Abbott was the state's AG and was also the first Chief Operating Officer of the Health and Human Services Commission. More recently, Scott briefly represented the Trump campaign in its efforts to block certification of the Pennsylvania election results in 2020. Here's Scott with Julian Bryan. Secretary of State John Scott joins us now. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you all very much for having me. You know, you were appointed by Governor Abbott in October. How do you think it's going so far? It's uh, going great. It's very fast paced. Uh, it is, I've been involved in litigation most of my life. And so learning from this side of the docket is much different than going into a courtroom and fighting over a thick set of facts. But it's great, great people. You mentioned litigation. I know one of the things you were involved with recently was former President Trump's challenging of the election results in Pennsylvania. I'm just curious on a personal level, where have you landed on the 2020 election results? Well, I, I don't know that I've landed there. I, I've always been there, uh, which is we have an election process. Uh, President Biden won the election process. Uh, those, have, those votes have been canvassed, uh, which is affirmed by each state. There are no issues relating to the presidential election. We have uh, President Biden's our president and has been since January of last year or this year. So you did decide to get involved, though, in the Pennsylvania suit. Why did you decide to get involved with that? Well, I was asked to uh, and looked at the interesting situation in Pennsylvania. They had uh, 67, the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania has 67 counties, seven of which had a different uh, type of operation during the election in handling the mail-in ballots. And so from a very practical standpoint, it looked like there were seven counties that were able to get their invalid ballots uh, proven up through provisional ballot casting, and the other 60 counties weren't. So it sounded like an interesting fact situation to be involved in from that standpoint. Let's talk about our state. Okay. Uh, the governor has ordered an audit of uh, election results in, in several counties, Dallas, Collin Tarrant, among them, uh, where are we in that, that process and how will this work? So the four, the only one other one is Harris County. Right. So those account for about 35% of the votes that were cast in the 2020 election, uh, about a little over 4 million of the 11 plus million that were cast. Um, 
We are in stage of the phase one. We will be putting out a report before the end of this year. So this month we will be putting out a, a report on phase one. Uh, phase one will include an analysis of the security that was in place at the time of the last election. Phase one will include uh, an updated provision on the uh, voter roll, uh, the non-U.S. citizen, uh, and it'll also include a portion of it uh, on those persons who have voted perhaps in Texas as well as another state uh, in the 2020 election. So far in this, have you seen any issues? Well, I, I, I'm going to let the results final become final. So on phase one, I think there'll be some newsworthy issues that people find, uh, and we'll get that report drafted up for folks. Uh, phase two is going to be kicked off this month. We should be getting it out. It may be as late as the first week or second week of January that we get those document requests out to the different counties. We hope to have it completed by before the primary. A lot of people had questioned the, the rationale behind doing this in the first place, but it sounds like from what you're saying that you're you're finding things to justify the reason for doing this. Well, I don't. So I don't know that there's a the justification was results oriented. Okay. I, I think the justification is we have had a number of things that each of these counties have already done. They do them every election, and they do a phenomenal. Uh, it, it's a phenomenal effort that the election administrators in each of these counties have done in the past. What we're trying to do is make sure that there's a little more confidence in the system, in the election integrity. And I think this is one of the hopes of the of the audit is to show folks that it is very safe. It is secure. Your vote does count when you cast it. And where we find issues, we're going to address those issues. And we'll make referrals if need be over to the AG's office. So the Secretary of State's office has said, a representative said, that the 2020 election was smooth and secure. Do you agree with that assessment? Well, I don't want to, again, prejudge anything on the uh, uh, on the audit. I don't want the folks who are working on the audit to think they're somehow going to please me. Uh, or I have, uh, I want to in any way uh, force them to do something that they're not comfortable with uh, with regard to the results. So I'm going to let the evidence speak for itself. I have no earthly idea if it was completely smooth or if it was there was evidence that it was not smooth. That's what the audits, the purpose of the audit is, is to find that out. I personally have no knowledge of anything that went wrong in the election. This is obviously a, a really, really important issue and a lot of people are paying attention to it. You have an enormous weight on your shoulders, and, and you talk about your background. I'm curious, is there, a, is there a learning curve here for you in terms of getting your arms around these election issues? Well, I think the great thing in my benefit is we have a staff of people at the Secretary of State's office that have been doing this, it seems like, forever. I mean, they know the election code backwards and forwards. They know federal law. They know state law. They know every rule that this state has, and they know how it's been implemented and where problems have come up. So to have them to get to support them, I'm more like a pinata when stuff goes wrong. <laughs> I get to last, I guess, till the candy comes out. Yeah. I mean, they'll put a new pinata there. So, but yeah, I, that's the benefit is it's, it's, it's not just me doing it. I would be very worried if it was just me doing it for the state of Texas. It's, it's the staff at the state of uh, Texas Secretary of State's office, which is great. So essentially, like, you really never run an election like this before. You've, run, you've never run an elections department before. No, I've never run an elections department. What I have done is managed a lot of folks in a lot of different capacities, and I think that's really what the goal of this, this as Secretary of State is, at least in part. So, you know, as we're heading into this election, any major concerns? Uh, you know, what, what's kind of on your mind? 
I think we, I, I, one of the reasons I'd like to get the audit over with is I want any issues that might be out there to be corrected. So I think that's first and foremost. But I think the one thing that I want everybody to feel is that we have a very transparent system, one that there, people can have confidence in. I'd love the discussion to go away from talking about election integrity to the politics. Let policymakers and those that are candidates go out there and address those issues. And so that's one of the real, I guess, baseline goals is let's develop the evidence. We're not going to comment on whether it's good, bad, or indifferent. It's going to be evidence that people can look at and they can disagree on what it means. That's up to them. But that's our real goal. And so for the elections, we really want to make sure that people have confidence in the election. And so whatever we do before that, we want to make sure that those programs are in effect. You talk about confidence and integrity. There's another real issue for a lot of people, and that is access to the ballot box. What do you say to people who are very concerned that Texas is narrowing access to the ballot box and not expanding it? I don't know that there's evidence of that. I, in fact, I think it's just the opposite. So I know there was a uh, SB1 is one of the new uh, laws that have gone into effect this past Thursday, in fact. Um, and so I think it opens up some avenues that were heretofore kind of foreclosed. I think one of the uh, one of the areas I would point people to is mail-in ballots. Mail-in ballots uh, have historically when they come in and there's an error in them because somebody's done something incorrect, they're not counting. They're just, they're, uh, they're not, they, their vote does not count. In the new SB1, it provides a mechanism for people to pay over to track their mail-in ballot and to fix anything that when they find out there was an error in that. Um, from in-person voting, I don't think there's anything in in-person voting that's changed at all. We've had an expansion of the number of hours in early voting. Now, if you lived in Houston, if you were lucky enough to live in Harris County, uh, they had 24-hour voting. That was the only place that provided 24-hour drive-through voting. Um, we're also as part of the and audit. Why is that a problem? Well, I'm not. That, uh, so I'm not the policymaker. Okay. I didn't make the rules. I just I, what we want to have is one set of rules for everybody in the state, though, because just from a, an enforcement standpoint, to make sure that elections are fair and secure, you don't want to have each county come up with their own set of rules. And quite frankly, if we were to pick out one of the wealthiest places in, in Texas, say Highland Park, and they were able to conduct their elections on a 24-hour basis. Uh, for the full time of, of, of early voting, but no one else in the state were allowed to because they had the funds to do it. I think most people would disagree and say, say that's wrong. We should have one set of rules that apply to everybody on how they operate. Okay, we have a lot more to talk about with you, so I'm going to ask you if you will come back at some point before the elections. Oh, I'd love to. Okay, great. Well, we'd appreciate that. Thank Tiger, you for your time. Thanks no, for your thank time. You for having thanks me. so much for joining us. Julie went to Washington last week and spoke to a couple high-profile Democrats, Secretary of Transportation Pete Buttigieg and First Lady Jill Biden. Let's start with infrastructure. Texas stands to get more than $27 billion for roads, highway, and bridges after President Joe Biden signed a $1 trillion bill earlier this month. In addition, the Department of Transportation announced additional grant funding to finish off the 50-mile loop of trails in Dallas. And the southern Dallas County Inland Port will get a new transit service, improvements in sidewalks, and updated traffic signals. Buttigieg tells Julie what the new law means for Texas. I know there's an automatic formula in Texas. We'll get about $27 billion for the highways and bridges. When will we actually see the work start? So part of what you're going to see is an expansion of programs that already exist. Uh, remember, we've got dollars that, that we use to support, uh, for example, uh, road building in Texas every year. 
Uh, it's just that there are going to be more of them. Uh, we were just able to announce support for things like the Loop and uh, uh, South Inland uh, or South Dallas Inland Port. There's going to be more dollars in the programs that are supporting that. But I do want to make clear, this is not a short-term economic stimulus program. This is about making sure that America is competitive for the rest of our lifetimes. So some things are going to happen very quickly, you know, road repairs, bridge fixes, that kind of things. But if we're talking about a new airport terminal or a fundamental reconstruction of a port, you know, those things by design might take a decade, and that's okay. You just brought up the raise grants, and I want to talk to you a little bit about them. Um, you've got certain grants. Dallas is set to receive money to complete the final segment of the 50-mile trail, and Southern Dallas and DeSoto re received grants for new transit service improvements in the Southern Dallas Inland Port area. Talk to us a little bit about those grants, because those are new. Yeah, so the Loop Project is exciting because of what it does for quality of life, helping people to get around. And, you know, these trails, more and more cities are, are putting forward visionary ideas uh, about expanding those kinds of trails. We want to make sure we're supporting that because we think it's good policy. What's exciting about the Inland Port, that South Dallas project, is it's connecting people to jobs, which is one of the main reasons why transportation matters in the first place. Uh, when a local community or a county uh, comes forward with a good idea, we want to be able to support it. Now, I want to emphasize, uh, in, in this year's funding, we had $1 billion to work with. We got $10 billion worth of applications. Uh, so we had to really pick and choose the strongest of the strongest projects. But thanks to the infrastructure law, we're going to be able to expand those programs and have more dollars to work with for more good projects that are proposed to us next year, whether it's from the Dallas area or anywhere else in the country. Okay, speaking of the port, let's talk about the supply chain. I mean, people have been, you know, frustrated and complaining even before the holiday season. Yeah. How long do you think until things can really normalize? Well, I think we're going to continue to see a lot of concern on the supply chain uh, for as long as the pandemic persists. You know, it can poke holes in all of our goods movement chains in anything from the availability of truckers right here in the U.S. to a factory closing down halfway around the world, uh, which will impact us you know, right at the mall uh, when we're shopping for, uh, uh, for those holiday gifts. Now, we have been able to make a lot of progress. The numbers are going down in terms of how many containers are sitting there in the ports, for example, thanks to a lot of interventions we've been doing. But for the long run, uh, we've got to beat the pandemic, and then we've got to invest in the public infrastructure that so much of our supply chains count on. Remember, supply chains are private. Those are business activities. But they lean on public infrastructure like roads, rails, and ports. And that's where the government has a role to make sure that that infrastructure is strong. You know, what can you do in the meantime? You talked about this will be happening because of the pandemic, but what can you do in the meantime to speed things up? Well, some of the steps that we've taken are to increase 24-7 operations in ports and other facilities that didn't used to operate that way. We're also engaging the business community a lot. Like I said, uh, these are mostly private sector activities, but we can help coordinate them. And that's why you see the president spending so much time uh, with, for example, CEOs from uh, retailers like Walmart and Target or uh, FedEx and UPS. I've been engaged in those conversations as well to work with these uh, businesses on steps that they can take to smooth out those kinks in the supply chain and make it easier for everybody. And the bullet train, before I let you go, you know, between Houston and Dallas, people have been waiting a long time. Will this new infrastructure plan help the bullet train get moving faster? Well, uh, you know, we didn't design the plan one project at a time, but we're always excited to see projects that enhance passenger rail, and it is one of the things that is eligible for funding in, in this infrastructure law. Uh, now, like I said, every uh, program has kind of a different uh, funding path, but let me say this. I know Texas is a competitive state with a lot of pride, and we'd be very excited to see continued progress and development uh, connecting cities that are so important economically and really deserve more transportation options than we've had in the past. And finally, as the Biden family prepares for its first Christmas at the White House, 
First Lady Jill Biden talked to Julie about the holiday displays, as well as the continuing fight against COVID-19. You know, we just walked through, we saw uh -huh. all the beautiful decorations, gifts from the heart. I know you were very involved in the planning. Yes. Why did you decide to do this with well, that you, theme? Well, you know, I've traveled all over the country the past 10 months that we've been in office, and uh, I saw how communities came together and everyone helped one another. And whether it was frontline workers or uh, people in restaurants or hospitals or policemen or firemen, teachers, um, everyone reached out to someone else during this pandemic. And I know it's been a really hard year for all Americans. And so I saw what Americans gave to one another, and that inspired me to come up with gifts from the heart. You know, and we've talked about this before, but your passion for military families. And mm -hmm. right when you're downstairs, you see the gold star tree. Yeah. I, your message to military families mm -hmm. during this holiday season. You know, uh, we are always thinking about our military families. Um, and I mean, I, I've been working with military families for a couple decades now, and uh, we're always thinking about the resilience and, and uh, their support for for all of us to keep us safe. And so I think it was really important that we honor them. I, I love that gold star tree. I think it's so beautiful. And uh, you know, the Bidens are a military family and uh, we continue to support and pray every day for our military. You know, we saw you in Dallas this year as you were going around for vaccinations, really encouraging people to get those vaccines. We're seeing a lot of people in Texas actually getting the booster. We aren't seeing as many people getting the first shot. Uh -huh. Will you continue your work in the coming year on vaccinations? I'm, I'm doing it this coming week. I mean, I am out a couple times a week uh, encouraging Americans to get vaccinations. And now you know children can get them. So now the pediatric vaccine is out there. And I, this week I'm going, I think I'm going to Cherokee Nation and I'll be in Philadelphia. So I will continue, you know, um, encouraging Americans to get the shot. I mean, how important is it? Very important. It really, it, I just wish that all Americans would look at the science, see that it's safe, see that it's effective, and now it's available for everyone. And so I wish all Americans would think of, if they haven't gotten vaccinated, I wish they'd rethink it once again. You know, you look at the holiday season now and Americans, you know, they're concerned. They're dealing with yet another holiday season with COVID. Yes. The president's approval ratings have gone down. You know, your message to Americans at this time of the year. My message is um, things are going to get better. You know, the president and I think about all Americans every day. We pray for them each night when we say grace, uh, when we have dinner. And I know it's been really hard. But with, the, with all that's going on in the world, uh, we've been here 10 months. We are making progress. You know, we came in. We needed to rescue America and um, give up. People just didn't have enough food. They didn't have places to live. Joe worked on that and, and came up with the American Rescue Plan. Now he's working on the infrastructures to, you know, so that kids, the students can um, have the internet, access to the internet, and um, you know, that their water is clean and safe and their schools are safe and their roads are safe. So we are working every single day to make things better for American families. I look over there 
at that display over there, and I spoke <laughs> about it with your communications yes. director earlier. There's uh -huh. a teacher on there. There is. And, <laughs> you know, this year you've gone out and you have taught. Talk about yes. what it's been like to be the first lady and to be teaching as well. It's been great. You know, I teach. Um, I'll be in the classroom tomorrow giving a final exam. And uh, my students are, are wonderful. And they look at me as their English teacher. They really don't care that I'm first lady. And, and that's, that's what I love, that they, uh, you know, they relate to me as their English teacher. Reflecting on the year, when you look back at the holiday season, what sticks out to you? Oh my gosh, I guess the resilience of Americans, how strong they've been and continue to be uh, throughout this year, throughout the pandemic. Uh, parents have done such an amazing job with um, taking care of their children, making sure that they get on Zoom and making sure they have their meals and while parents are trying to do their own jobs. And uh, I know it's been really hard on parents and I want I hope that Americans know that uh, the President and I think about you all and we're working for you all the time. Thanks to First Lady Jill Biden, U.S. Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg, and Texas Secretary of State John Scott for joining the show this week. Stay up to date on everything Texas politics at NBCDFW.com slash Lone Star Politics. We'll talk to you next week.